Hello and welcome to the Fifth Quarter Footy Podcast. My name's Luke and we are here today with a pretty fun and exciting episode and we are going to be looking at our top five under the pumps. Now, there are three categories to this and we are looking at the top five teams that are under pressure or under the pump, the top five coaches that are under the pump and the top five players that are under the pump going into 2023. We've both compiled a list of uh, names and teams that we have not shared with each other. We want this to be a bit of a, um, a reveal for not only uh, you guys, but also ourselves. So it should make for some interesting conversation. And who knows, maybe we'll have some similar opinions on some things. Dita, how are you going? Yeah, I'm going very well. Uh, obviously excited to see who are at the top end of our uh, under pressure for clubs, coaches and players. Um, I hope to see a few curveballs, but I think we might have some similar um, coaches and teams under the pump. But in terms of players, there might be a few oddballs, which we're both excited to reveal, I'm sure. Yeah, I found the players narrowing it down to five was pretty tough, just because it is so early. I mean, it's pre-season, so we just haven't seen enough games yet to make really fantastic judgments as of yet but i like the fact that we're doing this before seeing anything as well because if we get something right we're, we're, we're gonna look pretty good but we also really increase the odds of us being completely off hopefully that's not the case though uh we're gonna start off with our top five teams under the pump what the way it'll work is um we're gonna take turns in reading out like our number five and then we'll take turns in reading our number four very brief discussion on each point. There will be a few double ups, I'd imagine, with the teams and coaches probably. So um, those segments might go a little bit quicker. But then once we hit the players, I'm sure it'll be much more conversational and a bit more interesting to keep an eye out for. Dita, do you want to take us away with your number five on the top five teams under pressure? Yes. Um, so I'll begin with my fifth team most under pressure coming into the new season is Essendon. I think it's well publicized how um, interesting their off season was in terms of the coaching and list management department. They had a CEO for a day. They sacked Ben Rudden with uh, mixed messages towards the end of the home and away season. And it just felt like they had no direction or clue. There was also a few um, board members that resigned as a result of a few of those um, scenarios previously listed. So I I listed them to um, be number five because while they're not extraordinary uh, situations, uh, they were just in the headlines too often. And I think uh, as a club, they're really underperforming what they should be as a big Victorian club. Luke, who is yours? Well, I just can, are we oh. going to have a conversation about... Yeah, you can. Yeah, okay. So, so my thing with Essendon, I did, um, I did look into Essendon a little bit, and I want to just say, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'm kind of spoiling a little bit here, but I haven't put Essendon in my list for a reason. That's all right. That's and good. I think the reason for that is, for there to be pressure or for the team to be under pump, there needs to be an expectation. 
And I don't think Essendon's expectations are very high going into the year. So it's interesting you say, I agree with all the off-field drama that's been happening and uh, the way the, the season ended and then obviously, you know, a new captain just announced and all sorts of things happening. I, I don't know, though, if there's really an expectation for them to do anything to warrant them being a top five team under the pump. But that's just for me. Uh, they're definitely a team that I think if they do have a below average year by what they're expecting, just given the sheer size of the club, I mean, yeah, but the fans and media will come after them pretty harshly, I'd say. So it's in a good way to start. I've got a, I've got a different team for my number five position, and uh, I'm going with the Gold Coast Suns. Ooh, nice. Now, the Suns, I mean, I, I've spoken to you uh, off-air about the Suns and how I think they're really just a nothing club, and I think the results truly do indicate that, and I don't think there'd be many people to disagree, but people are saying the Suns are a sneaky chance for the eight, um, they've never made the top eight before in their whole existence, which they're not that young of a team now to be in that scenario. You know, the Giants are obviously um, the team to compare them to, and they've made a grand final and several final series uh, in the same amount of time, a year less to be exact. And it's their 12th year in the league, and they've got to make finals sometime soon. I don't see that happening this year, and I think... The message that we're getting from the club and just the general public is that they're a sneaky chance. I just, I personally don't see it and I hope they prove me wrong. But I think if they can't make finals again, I don't know where they go. I just don't know where they go. I don't know where the upside is. I just, I'm not sure. What do you, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I think uh, I was tossing up between Gold Coast and Essendon as my number five. So I don't have them on the list, but they're a worthy mention as a club uh, to put in that position. It's, yeah, it it's interesting. I think in comparing my two in terms of Essendon making my list and not Gold Coast is I think the media storm that is always around Essendon in terms of they've got the list, they've got the depth, they've got the coach, you know, they should make finals. Mm. The end of 2021, they were... You know, favorites to be top four and then bombed out and didn't really make a um, a fair effort towards the entirety of the season. So, in terms of Gold Coast, I I don't think they're they're always under pressure for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they're not a surprise. Um, but moving on, um, club number four is the Bulldogs, which is interesting given that they're my own team. I think there's always the uh, expectations on a club to have played in a grand final to do well the following year and uh bulldogs after making two grand finals under bevo they just have sort of slipped away uh 2017 they obviously didn't make the finals which is a huge surprise and then 2022 they didn't uh do well in the first week of finals after blowing a big lead to Frio. So I think they, they were lucky to make the finals. If Carlton didn't I'll, choke, <laughs> yeah, I'll say they were they were lucky even to make make it into the top eight. And I think um, with their high draft picks, with their recruiting, I think there's just a lot of pressure for the entire squad to really perform. And if you look at the uh, team on paper, I 
I think they should be top six safely, but it's so hard to predict what Bevo and the team's going to do. Yeah, I think this one uh, leads nicely in because I also have the Bulldogs as my number four uh, team under the pump as well. So uh, you've sort of touched on all the points. I'll just briefly add a little bit. They, for a few years now, have been labelled as the best midfield we've seen sort of going around in a long time. And uh, I don't think there was much dispute on that, just the the pure star power they had. Um, Obviously making a few grand finals, but that was, you know, that's a while ago now, realistically. The the players that were in those grand finals, they they were young and now they're sort of in their prime, if not getting towards being past their prime. So it's a really interesting position they find themselves in, the Doggies. Um, hopefully they get it right. I think they're certainly good enough to be a true finals contender if it clicks. The weakness, though, is their back line. And if they can't bounce back from what was a very down year last year and they were so lucky to make finals, it took Carlton doing a true Carlton thing and choking at the last hurdle uh, for, for them to make the eight and then obviously underwhelmed once they got there. So, yeah, interesting. We both got them at number four. Give yeah. us a number three. Uh, for number three, I have Brisbane. Um, this is probably an interesting call given the last few years making finals and having prelims and whatnot. I'm looking at their list right now and all their off-season changes and, and the personnel that they've brought in in terms of your Dunkleys, your Gunstons, even Ashcroft, who was rated number one in the draft. I think it's an expectation for them to be close to minor premiers and as well as locking in a, a home prelim final. Um, obviously, this is early days before the season even starts, but they really need to be winning a flag with this squad in the next year or two. So I have them really under the pressure for now. Mm, interesting. The Lions. I um, I might talk about them a little later. <laughs> yep. I'll move to my number three. And my number three is, I, I think you're going to have this team higher on your list. And that's Port Adelaide. I think that Port, there's an expectation, just like I said with the Doggies, that they're going to do really well this year. They had the worst possible start they could have had to a season last year. And it really set them up for failure. They became an irrelevant team by very by about midway through the year, they were no longer a contender for finals. And then all we've been hearing this offseason is Port are ready and raring to go. They've spent a bit in the offseason to get some young star power in. Um, Jason Horn Francis obviously being the highlight. I fear for them because they really do need to do something this year. They've got Travis Boak, who's still one of their best players who isn't going to be there for much longer. Charlie Dixon's still quite clearly their best forward, and he's not going to be there much longer. Robbie Gray's now retired. I think they're just in a bit of a sticky spot. I think if it clicks for them, though, they will be that team that they've made them out to be. But I'm just not 100% confident that that's going to work for them. because. And the reason I've got them at three higher than the Dogs... Uh, and Gold Coast is because I think if they were to miss finals, the consequences of it is far more drastic than the consequences for the the dogs maybe not winning a flag or Gold Coast not making finals because the way 
Porter being hyped up right now. I mean, the way they're being hyped, it's like they're premiership contenders, and I'm, I'm not of the same opinion. Yeah, I think uh, that leads very nicely into my second pick, which is Port Adelaide, and obviously I agree with everything there. I think it's interesting to note that for interstate clubs from Victoria, they're in a two-state team, and at the moment it's very clear that Port Adelaide are, are above uh, Adelaide in terms of where their list is at, and you can see the media storm around the better team from one of those states, and and in this instance, it's Port Adelaide that they're you know finals bound. They've got a squad ready to fight for you know top four, get a home prelim, get a home home final, first week of finals, and yeah, I'm the same as you. I don't see the uh, the excitement or understand that excitement for team that has their 30 plus year olds as their best five and you'd hope for teams that are aiming for the top eight or top four that their better players are in a healthier age category potentially from you know 24 to 28 when they're in their prime but if Boak and Dixon are injured for a lot of the a lot of this uh 2023 season um I don't imagine Port Adelaide are going to make finals despite um, you know their off-season changes with Junior Rioli and Jason Horn francis And obviously, being, a, being Port Adelaide, there's always a one or two media personnel that <laughs> hype them up to no end, which maybe hinders them because I don't see them as good as other teams around them. But they, always, they I believe, can challenge. It's whether or not they will challenge. Mm. Um, who's your number two? Yeah, so my number two is... Your number three, and that's Brisbane. Um, you sort of touched on it. For me, it's as simple as they need to make the grand final. Uh, more so, I think that's the minimum for them this year. I think they need to make the grand final. They've fallen short just to, just too often in the last few years, and they've faced some really hot teams. They faced a very hot uh, Geelong team last season uh, in the final series, and that took them out, and... I think that caught them a little bit off guard. I think last year they really felt like it was their year to to go and they failed and they're just getting better and better. I think they've got to make a grand final this season. I think they've probably got to win a grand final with what they've got. I Yeah, I mean, not much more to add really. That's, that's the pressure in my eyes and I, I just don't know how much longer they can sustain being maybe the third or fourth best team in the league. So they're my number two. Do you want to give us your number one? Yeah, so very interesting hearing your sort of top four already. Oh, your four of your five already. We might have the same club. And my number one is Carlton. And <laughs> I'll allow you probably to go into it a bit more. But I think for me, being a big Victorian club that hasn't had success for a very long time, there's always that pressure. And what I mean by success is even making the top eight and for that matter, even winning a final. And you look at the, you know, they've had draft compensations um, back with Gold Coast in 2018 where they were had um, two or three VFL-aged players listed to them. They've had number one draft picks. They've had multiple top 10 
and top 20 draft picks. And after the disaster that was last season, I think they are firmly in uh, the firing line for me. And I should note as well, they've had the last two Coleman medalists and a Brownlow medalist with also multiple All-Australian players. And not making the finals is uh, rough, to say the least. I think you want to go further into that? Yeah, well, you, you guessed it. They're also my number one uh, under-the-pump team. I think they're probably every single person's number one under-the-pump team going into 2023. I just think after last year and how that season just sort of derailed after the buys, there's just no way that they cannot finish outside the eight this year. I I know I'm biased, and I'm, I will admit that wholeheartedly, but they are, on paper, one of, if not the best teams in the league. Maybe not the best, but they're definitely top four, in my opinion, in terms of their list. Even their bottom five players of their 22, I still think probably beats majority of um, lists in the AFL. There aren't many teams I see being better in that bottom five. And that was often the weakness with Carlton. And now they've improved it. The last few seasons, they have had a few draft picks, but they've also gone to gone to the trade table and just picked up players that are going to improve their weaknesses. Blake Akers was that player this year. You know, they've drafted players to now cater to the weaknesses. They've got superstars at every part of the ground. If they cannot make the eight, I hope that... All the all the stars at the Blues have a bit of self respect and get out of there because what are they doing? I look at Cripps and how how the hell is Cripps not played finals footy? He's too good of a player to not have been final, playing finals. Charlie Kerno, Coleman medalist, how's he not playing finals? Harry Mackay, the previous Coleman medalist. Sam Walsh, one of if not the best young players in the game. How's he not playing finals footy? Weedering. Jacob Weedering, one of if not the best young defenders. Or young in quotation marks, I guess, at this stage. But the names the names go on. And you can even say, like, Zach Williams going down hurts them. But I don't even think... I, I think it hurts, but they've got the players to replace them. And it's it's getting to a stage now where it really is all or nothing. They're a team good enough to be a contender. It's just shown that on the field they don't know how to do it so far. This season, hopefully, is a bit different for my own sanity as, as well. So that's my thoughts on the Blues. So that's a wrap for the teams under the most pressure. Uh, we're going to move along to the coaches. Um, I started off last time. Do you want to start it off this time with who is your uh, coach fifth in line for yep. most under pressure? So number five for me is Adam Simpson. Uh, he's got a very un- unusual list, very old, very damaged list. And he had a rough year last year with, and the last couple of years, I guess, with how sort of the, the footy gods have treated the West Coast Eagles. He, the problem is though, with what he's got, I don't think there's a way that they don't try and be a contender with the players they have and the, the age demographic. They've got to really go for it. But they're also, I don't think, good enough to be near that um, near that top eight right now. So 
I think he's in a precarious position where what does he do? How does he approach this season? Does he just sort of cruise along, get the kids as many games as possible, rest some of the big names that, you know, may only have a couple of years left? It's a lot of question marks, and I, I just I wouldn't want to be in his position. And he's been there for a long time now too. So, you know, when a coach has been there for a while and a club is down at the bottom for a few years, often it can be um, alarm bells and they might look to move on to something bigger and better if this season is a bit of a bit of a fail for the Eagles. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, remarkably, Adam Simpson is also oh. my number five <laughs> pick, which is uh, pretty incredible. Um, yeah, Adam Simpson, West Coast have been in a bit of uh, no man's land since the 2020 bubble. And I'm quite critical in my views that they've really underperformed. And even further saying they've been really, really poor. Um, Obviously, they've got a mature side compared to a lot of the teams down the bottom of the ladder. And you just look at some of the personnel that might not do the off-season training that is required to get them up to fitness or even during the seasons when players get soft tissue injuries um, which in in some instances is a reflection on how hard they've trained or how much training they've done and as well as being um, quite poor in their performances outside of an injury cloud and yeah Hard to say more than what you've said, but I think Adam Simpson's really looking like maybe the first coach to get the axe, if I'm honest. Mm. Uh, Looking back at his tenure, he did make the 2015 grand final up against the Hawks at that point. So that's eight years ago from this year. Who, you know, there's a. Collingwood as well. Yeah. 2018. They won in 2018. So obviously that gives a coach a bit of good good faith from the supporters and and the club but I think Adam Simpson needs to be showing some improvement from from what's happened last year. Uh, moving on, who is your number 4 coach? Number 4 I have Luke Beveridge, the doggies obviously. He I mean, it's sort of this cat, this category will sort of I think overlap with the teams that we've just discussed so we've obviously discussed the Bulldogs and their situation then the reason I go Luke Beveridge is he has shown that he's capable of winning a flag as a coach he's done it before and I think he's capable of doing it again and right now his list is in a really good way to push for that and he needs to do it and I think basically all the points I said earlier about why the doggies are under the pump overlap a bit with Luke Beveridge. He needs to make decisions about where he wants players to go. He needs a serious game plan as to how that back line is going to hold up against some of the better forward lines because I think that is by far their weakest line. And yeah, I just think the Doggies need to do well for Luke Beveridge to potentially keep his job. I I think if they have another down year like last year, he might be in a little strife come year's end. I don't know. What do you think? You're the doggies expert. You Do you have an opinion or will you save it for later? I'll save my comments for later. <laughs> uh, but my fourth coach under the most pressure is I've rated Stuart Dew. Um, yeah, similar to what Luke said, a lot of their 
coaches might overlap with some of the teams. Obviously, I didn't have Stuart uh, Gold Coast on my uh, in my top five for teams under the most pressure. I have Stuart Jew under pressure because I think his job is really on the line this year, and I think it's finals or bust for him. Now, they've got the talent, they've had the support from the AFL, um, they've got the list now that I believe that could potentially challenge. Obviously, they get Ben King back, they've got a few um, mature recruits via trade and uh, delisted free agents. They've had um, a few draft draftees come through the last few years, and obviously now it's time for them to perform. And Stuart Jew should feel the pressure. And similar to Adam Simpson, if things don't go well this year, I can imagine him getting the axe. Unfortunately, um, but he's my number four. Who is your number three? Three. Or if you did, you want to comment on that? Uh, I'll comment later. Yeah. Number three for me is Chris Fagan from the Brisbane Lions. Um, very similar to what we've said with the Lions in the under the pumps section and uh, the team section. Chris Fagan has been with this list since sort of the, the come up of this list. He's been there the whole way through. Um, he was the one who really got them off the bottom of the ladder when they were sort of down there with Gold Coast and Carlton for a couple of years. He was the one that sort of improved them and got, got a game plan that just worked really well. And, you know, they've fallen short and the list has gotten better. He's gotten He's got more talent around him than he's ever had. Uh, it's time to do something with it. I don't think his job is necessarily under pressure as, as some of the others, but I think the... Even just the off-season that he's had with some drama that um, has stemmed from his Hawthorne days as well, uh, there's probably going to be a little bit more eyes on him uh, just because he was sort of caught up with the whole Alistair Clarkson uh, scenario. If you don't know that, I suggest just go have a look because not what we're talking about today. But I don't know, just a little bit of um, off-field things that make you wonder, you know, how's he going to go this year? And I think grand final bust for Fagan yeah interesting Chris Fagan is also my number three <laughs> so it's it's always fun uh, to hear different thoughts that we're having and where teams or coaches might be at and it's always nice that we have a double up in uh, number three so yeah similar to what you've said this is the best team that Chris Fagan's ever had they got um, an incredible player in Ashcroft Somehow, despite not having anywhere any picks near him, and he's rated the best pick in the uh, draft, just added to their midfield depth, which was bolstered by McKenna playing off the wing or halfback, and then Dunkley. I think, similar to the two coaches that I've listed in Dewey and Simpson, I don't imagine Chris Fagan will get the sack this year, but the... Uh, media and football world will be scrutinizing every loss that they have because their team is arguably the deepest and one of the best and it is a finals or bust um yeah moving on to number two yeah number two i've got stewie jew so you've obviously put him as your number four i've got him at two and i've (laughs) this is going to sound a bit harsh but i've said to some people in the past i don't know how stewie jew still has his job i think he has been 
just so underwhelming, such a lackluster game plan from Gold Coast. I still don't really, I never really know what they're doing. I don't, they obviously aren't doing anything to improve on the ladder because every year they seem to just be hovering around the same sort of area. I think they are in no man's land right now and Stewie Jube has a big part to play in that, I think. I don't see any exciting game style coming from Gold Coast. I never have. He's been there for a while. I don't actually... I should have researched how long it's been since he's been at the club, but he has been there a long time for that club to just move absolutely nowhere. So I think pressure on him to take Gold Coast to the next step because if they can't do that this year, I think I think they have to sort of go separate ways and Gold Coast need to look at alternative options because you, you just you, they're currently looking a bit like a broken record, just sort of putting out the same team each week, getting the same sort of result. They'll beat Carlton every year. They'll beat they'll beat a Brisbane or someone every year, and then they'll get smashed by some by a North Melbourne. So, I I don't I don't see that sort of narrative really changing. Um, and if it does, well, that's a good thing for Fagan. Uh, for not Fagan for Jew because he needs something to change. Yeah, I just looked it up. Stuart Jew has been in charge of Gold Coast since the start of twenty eighteen. Wow. Um, so he's coached one hundred and five games. It's a long time. It's a long time when you're not doing much, and I think this is the last year has to be of uh, no finals for Gold Coast. And his win loss percentage is twenty nine wins, seventy five losses, one draw. Um, I think that just shows you where Gold Coast is at. They've lost twice as many games as they've won, or even more than that, one and a half, two and a half games lost more than they've won um yeah not much more to say um my number two is bevo mm. i think obviously we've got sort of the same four coaches thus far but in a few in different positions i think yeah similar to chris fagan in in your example this is the best list he's probably had and that is thanks to some off-field recruits in uh, Jones and Lobb just to help shore up those either end of the field um, obviously there's been a few departures of, of your Dunkleys and Hunters but I think overall this is the list that Bevo would want to play with and I think there's an enormous amount of pressure given the additions that he performs well whether or not he wins the grand final is another thing whether or not he makes top four is another thing. You know, Bevo's been at the club since uh, the end of 2014, so nine or ten years at the club. He's never been able to make top four, and that should be his aim this season. He won't get the axe at all. I think he signed a contract extension uh, late last year. But as we know, the contracts mean nothing to coaches and players so a lot a lot of expectations for Bevo this season um but moving on who is your number one I have a very sneaky feeling we're probably gonna have the same number one uh I've gone with Kim Hinckley at Port Adelaide you're nodding your head we've got the same guy the reason I've got him as my number one it does come down to 
sort of a, a combination of a few things we've said from the other four coaches. Uh, he's had that team for a long time now. He's done some good things, but he hasn't done great things at Port Adelaide. And, I mean, much better than Stuart Jew at Gold Coast, but it is a similar situation where he hasn't, I don't think, made them a team worthy of uh, being afraid of to go up against, especially in like a in a final series. You're not really worried to play Port Adelaide, I don't think. You never have been. I can't imagine that changes this year. Um, and I just think the pressure of the media and the way that you know he's talking and the media's talking they need to play well and I think I think he's a, a lackluster year for him sees him potentially walking out the door um involuntary involuntarily involuntarily um he yeah he's just got a strange team right now and I don't know if it's going to end well for him what I I'm assuming you've got the num- the same guy what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've also got Ken Hinckley as my number one coach under the most pressure this season. Um, I just looked it up. He's started his coaching career in 2013, so he's been at the club for 10 years now. And a lot of that pressure, for my mind, is what happened back in 2020 and 2021. Um, obviously, the football world and the rest of the world was impacted by mm. covid and Victorian clubs were impacted probably the most given the other states were under or not under lockdowns or, or restrictions like that. And in those years, Port Adelaide had two home prelim finals against Victorian clubs who were homeless at that stage and they should have probably beaten Richmond, but they got done towards the end of the mm-hmm. game. And then the most remarkable one of all was what they performed against Bulldogs in 2021. Um, I was obviously happy, but how Port Adelaide didn't even show up for their home prelim is just a head scratcher. And that is pointed directly at Ken Hinckley and how he um, trained those weeks that they weren't playing in terms of what they were doing. And I think... There's only two ways that a coach either survives in the AFL system, they or leave, I should say, their club, and that's either sacking or walking away or retiring. And 99 times out of 100, the coach gets the boot. And I think Ken Hinckley is under the most pressure for that reason. Yeah, I, I want to say one thing before we move on to the top five players we've both got listed. Um, and this is something that we I pro- we should probably should have mentioned at the start, or I should have mentioned. And I really do think being an AFL coach, or just a coach in general, or a manager if you're in soccer, I think it's the hardest job in the world. I think all eyes are on you. You can have all the greatest ideas in the world. You can be the best tactician in the world. But if you do not have an arsenal of players ready to go and perform at the level that they should be or performing the game plan you want it can make your it makes it reflects on you as the coach and it can be pretty harsh so there's some instances where you look at Stuart Jew at Gold Coast and you just wonder gee you know maybe he does have all these plans but these players just aren't good enough to fulfill it and then you look at Chris Fagan and then you might say 
gee, Brisbane looked pretty good today. Has he actually got anything to do with it or is it just the individual brilliance of players? So um, coaching can be brutal. It can be tough, but it's uh, the reality of the nature of the AFL. Um, that being said, I think it's time for the most exciting part of this episode, the part where we probably have some more differences, and that is our top five players. Dita, give us your number five. Yes. Um, very interesting uh, list of five players that I have. I've sort of categorized them with my bottom two, so picks five and four as traded players under the most pressure. And then three to one, I've listed as players in their current teams uh, under the most pressure, just because we haven't seen uh, any traded players play official games yet. And so there's still a lot of question marks um, how they settle into their new teams. But to start it off, I've got Luke Jackson as number five. I think being a Victorian-based player playing for Melbourne he had a lot of spotlight on him and the media loves uh, maybe a, a different type of player or an x-factor type of player and I think Luke Jackson is one of those players given his height athleticism and sort of running capacity mm. and I think moving to Fremantle there's a lot of pressure to uh, maintain his trajectory as a player. He's a very unique player where he can run all day and play like your fourth midfielder, really. And I think Fremantle gave up a lot of draft capital for him. And any time a club does that, they really want to be repaid in spades. And Fremantle don't want to just hang around the bottom of the top eight this year. They're, they're really gunning for uh, a top four berth just to have a a double chance if things don't go well in their first week. And I think Luke Jackson will be the make or break if that uh, is successful for Fremantle. Yeah, interesting point. I definitely agree with the fact that they have, Frio have given up so much to get him into the club. I think it was worth it. I think he's going to be fantastic for them. Um, Pairing up with Sean Darcy, they have the potential to be the best duo in the AFL for a long time. And that's, really exciting for Frio fans. It's exciting for both Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson. But yeah, there is pressure on him. When you give up that much, um, he's got, he's going to be, yeah, a little less, I think, uh, what's the word? I don't think he's going to be given as much leniency as he may have been given at Melbourne, Mm. just because he was at the best team in the league. Obviously, last year they didn't win the flag, but they have been the best team in the league probably the last three years. Um, so he may get a little less leniency at Frio if they do, you know, not win as many games as they'd be hoping. So that's a good point. I've sort of gone... Ad- oh. oh, no. I, I was just also going to say that WA is just as passionate about football as, as Victoria and a few other states. And I don't imagine the uh, media and public will be, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say not ruthless to uh, Luke Jackson... Uh, so he's really going to be under that spotlight there, given it's a two-team state. Absolutely. Now, I've, for my five, I've, I haven't really categorised them as such. I've just sort of I've compiled a list of names that from each team who I think are under-pressure players, and I've just sort of 
looked at them and I decided, right, who do I actually think there is genuine pressure on them to perform this year? Maybe it's on the field, maybe it's off the field. My first player, I don't think it's necessarily in terms of their footballing ability, but it's the role they're taking up this year. And it's my number five is Zach Merritt. Ooh. He He's obviously a fantastic player. He's arguably Essendon's best player. I would probably make that case right now. And he has just recently been given the captaincy duties of one of the biggest clubs in the AFL. He's never been a, someone who strikes me as much of a leader. I could be wrong in that. Obviously, I don't know the guy personally. However, leading a team like Essendon, it's not just leading the players. It's being the focal point for fans. It's the person who sends the message. You look at the the best captains in the AFL and you, they just lead from the front. They're big and they they command attention and they they just look like they get every one of their players up and about. And I, I don't see that side of merit yet. I'm not saying he doesn't have that because it's unfair for me to say that he doesn't have that because he hasn't had a chance to showcase it. But being named captain of one of the best AFL teams in history is a massive deal and Essendon are in a a sticky spot in terms of their football and he's now going to have to be someone who takes accountability for that being the leader of that team just like Patrick Cripps has the last five years for Carlton it's going to come down to merit as well a little bit now yeah I think that's a great call Uh, I don't have merit on my list but you look at what captains are required to do, whether they're in AFL or, or any other sport, they really have to be that on-field leader. And whether your team's up by 100 or down by 100, if they ever dip their head, you know, the players around them, whether they're young players or the old players or other senior uh, leadership players, they're going to really see, see you um, stop performing or stop giving effort and... The last few years when Essendon have been done badly, Merritt has looked a bit slow. He hasn't um, chased hard enough. And I think that is going to put a lot of pressure on him now that he is the captain. Um, But as you said, Luke, he hasn't played an official game yet. We don't know what Essendon is going to look like under Brad Scott. Um, But he is certainly one for mine to be under a bit of pressure. Um, moving on, player number four for me is Jason Horn Francis. Um, there's obviously been a lot of media speculation and and interest and involvement in this case, so it's adding more fuel to the fire if you want. But I think any time a first round draft pick wants to get traded or leave clubs after their first season, um probably not a good look for the team that they're departing or even the player and we saw last year um sort of two things of note one how impressive nick dacos was and sort of you gotta scratch your head as to why north melbourne didn't bid on dacos and two there was some on-field and off-field um scenarios with jason horn francis and he did look his age at some points where mm. he was still finding his feet as a young man and player in the league. But when you've got the number one 
peak attached to you there is those ex extra expectations and for mine they didn't meet but hopefully in a new environment back in his home state he is able to perform of a number one pick worthy mm, very interesting uh, my number four is a bit of a different uh, player to the ones we've named thus far I've gone with Matt Crouch of the Adelaide Crows now this is a guy who I want to say he was an All-Australian one year. He was, yes. He was an All-Australian not too long ago. 2017. 2017, okay. So maybe it is getting a little while ago. But even then, he's been, he was playing well up until around that COVID time. And then he's just dropped off significantly. And the reason I've put him under this category is he's not injured at the moment. He's playing footy. But the Adelaide young brigade in the midfield is coming through and they've pushed him out of the best 22. And a player of Matt Crouch's capabilities shouldn't be getting pushed out by Sam Berry, uh, Harry Schonberg, Jake Saligo, these names just yet. He should be there leading them, being a, a protector for these young bodies. And But Sam Berry is the one who's come in and being the protector for, for the other young guys. Rory Laird's come off the half-back line and be, become an elite midfielder for the Crows. So um, I just think Matt Crouch has to be playing best 22 footy at Adelaide. Adelaide's not a strong team. He's good enough to be playing. I think it comes down to mindset and attitude for him because I just can't believe a guy who was playing as well as he was is now genuinely a fringe player at one of the weaker clubs in the league. That's my number four. Yeah, um, definitely worthy of a player being under most pressure coming into the new season. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure about uh, Matt Crouch. There's been a, just a lot of question marks as to how he's not in the team. I don't have the answers. And it's a bit strange that a former All-Australian and I think Crows best and fairest in their grand final year isn't playing best 22 and whether or not that's with Don Pike getting moved on and uh, the new coach coming in we're not sure but you know there does seem to be some stuff happening behind the scenes that the footy public might not be privy to um, but we're hoping he can get back into the best 22 for Adelaide but if not you know we're not sure how much longer Crouch has in the in the league, unfortunately. Um, but moving on, my number three player under the most pressure is James Warpool. Ooh, that's um, a good one. I like it. Quite high, but I think I've been really um, disappointed, I guess you could say, with Warpool the last three years. And this player won a best and fairest in his second year at the club. And obviously, he needs to get... His performances right now aren't at that standard. And usually you'd see a player, you know, sort of rise to the challenge and and build on season upon season. But from 2019, he's sort of gone down 2020, down 2021, and now down 2022. When he was getting dropped in a Hawthorne team that was bottom three or four or five even. And 
he now has the midfield space to play in his preferred position. And without Tom Mitchell and Jaeger O'Meara in there, he's the most experienced midfielder for Hawthorne. And I don't think there's any excuses for him, really. It did seem that there was some off-field and on-field um, uh, situations, maybe with Sam Mitchell, where he, where Mitchell wasn't impressed with his training standards or playing standards. So we're hoping for uh, Warpool to showcase his 2019 form. And it was stiff not to make the All-Australian squad in that year, I thought. Uh, who's your number three? Oh, well, I'll just oh, touch on Warpool for a second. I, I, I do like the fact that you have mentioned him. I He's a player who I considered. I actually had him in my sort of honourable mentions list, so uh, we were sort of on the same page there, I think. You've sort of listed the reasons, and this year, like any young Hawthorne midfielder, this is the year for them to shine through. Giant Newcomb came into the league and took that midfield by storm. That should have been Warple, what Giant Newcomb was doing. And I think Warple has, even though Hawthorne's list is in an interesting way at the moment, I think he's also in a position where he's got a second chance to really launch his career forward in 2023. So all eyes on him. I, I think he's going to have a good year, personally, but the pressure is on and... There's a few young Hawthorne mids who would be ready and willing to take his place, I think. So it's a great name to put there. My number three is actually Jason Horn francis who you had at number four. Uh, you've sort of touched on it, so I won't spend much time on this at all. But I think, for me, the issue with him is not his football itself. I think he's going to be just fine in terms of what he does on the field. It's his off-the-field attitude and um, sort of shenanigans that he gets up to that needs to, I guess, stop. He needs to sort of grow up and be the number one draft pick that he was named. Port have given up a very, very big chunk to get him there. And Port are undoubtedly a much better team than North Melbourne. He doesn't have the excuse of not wanting to play in a quote-unquote losing team with a bunch of losers, he's now in a team that should be winning, according to them. So, I don't know. Jason Owen Francis, pressure is definitely on. Who's your number two? Uh, number two uh, might be a bit controversial, but I've got Jordan Dugowie. Mm. Um This is sort of based around his off-field uh, uh, indiscretions. I think... Given his age and experience in the AFL, he really needs to stop getting on the front page of newspapers for anything outside of football. And he's probably one of those players that can make it or can win a Brownlow with with his uh, skill set and his just playing ability. Um, he will get compared to your Dustin Martins or Petrarca's every day of the week, given he's a, a big explosive midfield who can go forward and kick goals and they can't grow on trees. I think I really want to see Jordan Goey uh, put his head down and even try and make an All-Australian so- squad, let alone the best 22. I think it's very rare for 
any player to have that potential to win a brown low and I think he really needs to start performing and if he starts performing at a all Australian level in consistently for the home and away season I think Collingwood will go deep in finals or up the ladder so that's why I have him as most under pressure yeah it's a great little analysis there I think yeah I agree Dugowie's upside is just so high I love him as a footballer I don't think he should be compared to guys like Dusty and Petrarca, even though he naturally will. Uh, I don't think he's got the same skill set, but I do think he has the exact same game-winning ability as those two. Uh, I think when he's playing well, Collingwood are a completely different team. I think we saw that at, at times last year when Dugowie was on, Collingwood were... I mean, Collingwood generally were just an incredible team to watch and not a team you want to go against, but you had Dugowie you know, running rampant through the midfield, getting, all he needs is 20 touches. He doesn't need 30 touches. 15, 20 touches, a couple goals. That's enough for him to win a game. And that's, you say the same thing for Dusty. I don't think they have the same skill set, but it's the same impact on the game. So, yeah, pressure's on. He needs to pull his head in for sure. My number two, a little bit different. You mentioned how passionate the WA fans are about their football and this is a big factor into why I'm putting this player at number two and that is someone who if you listen to the West Coast episode um, you'll know that I think this player is under pressure this year and that's Oscar Allen now the sky's the limit for Oscar Allen and there's no denying that and I think he has all the potential in the world but he has been pinned as this guy who's going to take West Coast very far. He's Josh Kennedy's replacement. Josh Kennedy's been one of the best forwards in the modern game, uh, without question. There's no de- denying that. And that he's been earmarked since day one as someone who's going to come in and take the mantle and just sort of pick, pick things up where, where they've been left off. And uh, he's coming back into the game after a year on the sidelines and I just think that he really needs to hit the ground running for West Coast for them to be anything worth watching this year. They don't have many goal kickers in that team. Jack Darling might uh, is under an injury cloud. So if he's not there, they don't have any established goal kickers going into the season. Oscar Allen can, can be that guy. He is that guy, I think. And he has the whole West Coast Eagles fan base riding him and as we said, the the fan the media in, in WA will jump on him pretty quickly if he's putting up a few games without goals. So I think a bit different for the reasons as some of the other players, but the pressure is on him just to sort of live up to what we know he can be. Uh, it's not off-field. It's all on-field for Oscar Allen, so that's my number two. Yeah, I think that's a great call. Um, I'm not sure I'd have him that high, but... <laughs> He's certainly a player that is yet to live up to expectations consistently and it is going to be difficult for any player to step into the Josh Kennedy shoes after what he's done for for West Coast after his career. Um, He does need to sort of get back onto the park and then sort of build up his confidence and consistency in 2023. But yeah, a lot of media personnel have been hyping him up for years and years since he's been in the league and he really does need to cement his spot as 
one of those emerging key forwards of the game because I think a lot of teams have, or I should say a lot of players have sort of surpassed him and he's now even not in that consideration at the moment. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. You look at guys like Aaron Norton. He was drafted as a centre-half back. He's now a better forward than Oscar Allen is and I don't think there's a question about it. Oscar Allen can show us something this year to maybe be in that conversation again. But right now, Aaron Norton's better. You know, Jamari Hagen has shown more in the forward line, I think, than Oscar Allen has. And that's a big call, but I really do think that's true. I'm a big Jamara fan, so I'm, I'm biased there. But, you know, even someone like Charlie Curnow, he's not that much older than Oscar Allen, and he's one of Coleman. And he, he came up... This is the year after a big injury that kept Charlie out of the game. Can Oscar Allen do what Charlie Curnow did last year? Maybe. I hope he does. That'd be pretty cool. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Now, the the big call for me, which is... Uh, I don't know what, what the uh, backlash might be for this, but I will have my justifications as to why I've listed this player under the pump as number one, and that is Dustin Martin. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and this is... This is probably pressure on a uh, superstar level. And, and this is not him up against the four other names that I've listed because he's so established and he's done a lot. I'm listing him against probably three, oh, two players, I should say, that um, might be in consideration as to who's better. You know, that pub talk of would you rather this player or that player... And if you look at Dustin Martin compared to Gary Ablett or Chris Judd as game-winning midfielders, I don't know if I'd pick him with the career that he's had (laughs) over those two. And I looked into it, and I will say this before I get into it. Dustin Martin with his three... Oh, not Coleman medals. Norm Smith. Norm Smith medals. I think that cements him as the best... Best player in a grand, oh, best best player to perform when the heat is up. I think I'm not sure what the name is. Sort of, he rises above above the pressure. Yeah, he rises above the pressure. I think he a oh, big game player. Yeah, I think he's the best big game player that I've seen, and I think he would trump your Judds or your Ablets, given those who don't have Norm Smith medals when they've also been in grand finals. But if you look at Gary Ablett and Chris Judd, they've had multiple All-Australian seasons with multiple best and fairest for their clubs. And I look back at Dustin Martin's resume and he's only got two best and fairest years, which surprised me. And they were 2016 when he didn't make the All-Australian squad and 2017. Now, his 2017 season is iconic it's the greatest season anyone's ever played with all the awards he's won and he won them all for individual accolades but if you look at you know two-time Brownlow medalist in Chris Judd and two-time Brownlow medalist in Gary Ablett they've got at least four to five best and fairest for the clubs and what I'm saying here is for consistency across a season in successful teams um, they have been able to deliver. And I think 
the baton is for Dustin Martin in his final X amount of years is if he can get another best and fairest or a flag or an Orm Smith medal or something of that caliber, I think that'll help cement him in that in the league of the best midfielders. But I think he's still got a way to go looking at um, how, su- how successful Richmond have been, but he hasn't sort of featured, sort of prominently been um, a, uh, a best and fairest in the grand final years outside of 2017. And I knew this was going to uh, cause some controversies with you, and I'm interested <laughs> to hear your thoughts straight off the bat. Yeah, interesting. I, I understand absolutely where you're coming from. Uh, in terms of the comparison with Judd and Ablett, I will f- 100% back myself in saying I think Ablett and Judd are better players than Dusty is. That being said, Dustin Martin is the greatest finals player I've ever seen, and I don't think there's anyone who can dispute that. Some of the things I've seen him do in finals, it's just been absurd. And in my lifetime, I, I can't say I've seen a player do do it as frequently as he has done in September. So uh, there's that. The one thing I'll say that is going for Dusty this year, and I think it's this will suit him given where he is in his career, is Richmond have just gone and really bolstered their midfield, which means Dusty can play forward of the ball more. Um, there won't be as much pressure on him to push through the midfield. I, I still think he will. But he can put himself forward and kick three goals a game. He's good enough to do that. Uh, like round one, being a Carlton fan, the the forward I'm most afraid of is Tom Lynch, but then next it's Dusty. Jack Rewalt doesn't worry me as much as Dusty does. The Smalls don't worry me as much as Dusty does. If Dusty's playing forward, I don't know a defender in the league who can really match him and the way he plays. So... Um, that's a positive, I think, for Dusty this year is that he can really just w- isolate himself in that forward line, hopefully, and just be an absolute nuisance. And I think he will win a BNF if he plays that role um, as well as we know he can. That being said, I think I think to say that he's the most under-pressure player, I know you've done it in sort of categories, I think it's crazy because... Another thing with him is he's, he's like a new recruit to Richmond this year. The way the way last season went, he really is a new recruit to them. He's at being added to that squad alongside Hopper and Taranto in, in ways. So it's going to be an interesting watch. You, you look like you have more to add. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've, I'm just looking online at um, the career highlights of those three. And I should note that I didn't realize uh, Chris Judd won a Norm Smith in 2005 on, oh. a, on a losing team. Um, but I'm looking at the All-Australians and both Gary Ablett and Chris Judd have six each compared to... Um, oh, I should say Gary Ablett's got eight All-Australians. Yeah. And um, Dustin Martin only has four. And I think as well for... Dustin Martin is he was arguably the best player the last five years from 2017 to you know 2022 or 2016 to 2021 or or something like that is you look at Judd and Ablett they were the best player for a decade like they are that highly rated across 10 years of consistent football 
And I think when you look back at Dustin Martin in years to come, if he can have a few more All-Australian seasons where he's in the forward pocket and he's kicked 40 goals and and you know performed well in his midfield stints, you know that's going to sway him more towards up there with those two players that I've just mentioned. And, and obviously this is players most under pressure. And I think this is pressure in terms of a legacy, I guess you could say. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Like and that. because... Not every day you're going to get a Dustin Martin playing for a team or in the league. And and given he's still up and running, he really hopefully can sort of prove me wrong. Um, but I've probably said enough for now. Um, I'm going to let Luke say he's number one because I'm excited as anyone. I mean, this player is certainly no Dustin Martin. <laughs> he's definitely not at that level and I don't know if he ever will be. Um, I shouldn't count my chickens before they hatch though um i'm probably bringing a little bias into this and there's a range of reasons why this player is my number one and that is tom de Koning. wow so, okay so and I, I and i acknowledge right now the the bias is going to be there but i think the reasoning is pretty fair now he is in a position where he's playing at carlton with arguably one of the best midfields in the league. And he has yet to establish the number one ruck role on his on his own. He's still competing with Pitonet to be the number one ruck at Carlton. Uh, and I think any ruckman would be licking their lips to be knocking the ball down to Paddy Cripps, Sam Walsh and co. I don't think that's without a question. Uh, now, the reason I've got him as number one is that he has yet to cement the role but also he a bit like Oscar Allen who was my number two has been hyped up for a while to be this guy who's this mobile athletic ruckman who's going to change games he's going to do heaps around the ground as well as you know win taps and to this day he has not done anything like that he doesn't kick goals I don't think he's kicked... I think he may have only kicked multiple goals in one game so far in his career. And I I mean, I probably should get fact-checked that, but I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, and But that's just not good enough for a guy who's played, you know, 35-plus games and just hasn't really showed anything. Now, being tall, it takes time. But then... The other factor as to why I think he's under pressure, and this is the big one, is he's coming out of contract at the end of the year. And if he wants to warrant the price tag that's sort of being thrown around and has been thrown around for a, for a couple of years now, he needs to prove big time that he's worth it. If he has a big year, and I'm talking if he has a year where he elevates Carlton's midfield from being one of the best to the best, which is capable to do with what they've got, if he has a year like that, he will warrant getting paid big money. Big money that Carlton probably don't have for him. And he can then shop around and probably make 800 plus K a year if he wanted to. I don't see that happening. And I could see him potentially exploring his options come season end because he may not get the pay that he wants from Carlton. And being very disappointed with the interest that the other clubs in the league have for him. Geelong will come after him, naturally, pairing up with his brother, being a Geelong boy. 
being a, a team that has vacancies in the ruck department, I guess. But I just think he he needs to prove that he's actually worth the hype because his brother overtook him last year by a long way. Uh, I don't know. What's your thoughts? I'm obviously very biased on this one, and I think, but I think it's worthwhile having him on this list. And I think he is number one in in my eyes, anyway. Yeah, um, a bit of a shock. I, I wasn't sure who I was expecting for number one. Um, I do believe Tom DeConin is worthy of being a player under pressure in 2023. As you said, he's uh, out of contract. Um, I reckon there'll be a lot of clubs paying him overs to come to their their team. And I'm looking at like your St. Kilda's, your Essendon's, your Hawthorns, who have salary cap space that do need that forward ruck uh, player. Um, yeah, I think there will be a lot of pressure for Tom DeConing to prove to Carlton that he's worth whatever money that he wants. Um, at this stage, he hasn't shown um, anyone that he's worth near $850,000, a season. Um, I, I think this is the year for Tom DeConing to show something and with the hurt that Carlton have probably feeling this offseason not making finals, you really do hope with the high ceiling that Tom DeConin has that he can push out a Pitane, who is, you know, your lumbering old school ruckman who doesn't have much forward craft, who doesn't do much around the ground. Whereas Tom DeConin, um, I saw him chase down. Um, I think it was Castagna or something, f- someone for, for Richmond a few first rounds ago. And someone of that size shouldn't be chasing down some center half, or half forwards or forward pocket players. And he does have all the potential to, to be anything, to be honest. But yeah, the pressure will be coming for him just to help elevate Carlton to the next level. My, my thing with him as well is... and. He's gonna get. He gets compared to Pitonet naturally, being uh, the ones that are competing for the spot. The worry for him, in my eyes, is as a Carlton fan, I think there are Carlton fans who get blinded by the idea of De Koning and what he can be, and we all know that. We all know he could be one of the best ruckmen in the league. That's without a doubt. But right now, I prefer Pitonet in terms of his rucking. His tap work, I prefer Pitonet. The stats show that Pitonet is one of the best tap ruckmen in the league. So Pitonet wins that category. Going forward, I prefer Pitonet. I think De Koning, flashy, takes some big marks, doesn't kick goals, gets in the way of Harry and Charlie. Pitonet understands to get out of the way of the two big boys who are kicking all the goals. And he does kick a goal every now and then when he rests forward. Around the ground is the only area where De Koning actually beats Pitonet, who's only about two years older than him, and is a very is not considered a very impressive ruckman in the AFL by any means. I personally like him, but in the grand scheme of the league, Mark Pitonet's not a ruckman really anyone gives much consideration to. And the fact that De Koning is, in, in my opinion, and I think a lot of Carlton fans probably would agree. He's not better at at tapping the ball and playing forward in the Ford Craft. It's the Ford Craft, I think, that is holding the coding back. 
Yeah, I think uh, your, your Pidney is your... Um, this is solid Ruckman. Does what he needs to in the Ruck division and and he does quite well in his tap work and, and Ruck craft. Um, yeah, I think... I think I, I don't actually know how long uh, Tom deconian has been in the league, but it, it's at least five or five or six years. So he, yeah. he's coming of age, really, and and you know this year will make or break him. I think as to whether he'll um, reach the heights of your Grundies or your Gorns, who who performed well around this age as well. And yeah, time will tell. Is he going to be a Gorn, a Grundy, a Natanui, or is he going to be a Reese Stanley? I'm not saying that he's never going to be good enough to play AFL. That's not in the. That's not the question here. It's whether he can be the star that we know he can be. And I think Reece Stanley's actually a pretty good comparison to what uh, he could be if he doesn't get it to go right. Still mm. serviceable, still does the trick, but a bit underwhelming given the the attributes. That being said, it's been a, a good hour and a little bit of <laughs> chatter. Uh, good discussion, I think, and a few things that I'm sure will raise some eyebrows. Mm. Uh, definitely Dustin Martin and Tom DeConing, I'd say, will raise some eyebrows. But uh, hopefully you guys all enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear who you would have as your top five teams, coaches, and players that are under the pump going into this year. Uh, hopefully everyone that we've listed everyone and every team that we've listed proves us wrong and they just shine above uh, all the pressure that we are putting on them. So do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, I think it was quite nice just to finish off that we had a few different players on our list that were sort of different for different reasons and it just showed a bit of diversity in our thinking whereas the clubs and coaches sort of pick themselves really you could throw a hat over the five those five uh teams and coaches and they'd all be listed in one position or another depending on what we we're feeling um we'll probably end it there it's just clicked over 74 minutes which is a long time for a podcast but obviously without discussion on everyone there's there's a lot to say um any final thoughts yeah, so the way to get in contact with us to share your top five under the pumps uh, is to head to our Twitter. It'll be in the link of... Uh, it'll be in the description. Uh, there will be a link to our page. Uh, just send us a message there. We're pretty active on there. We'll reply to messages that we get. We love hearing different thoughts. Even if you think that our thoughts were absolutely horrendous and you want to rip into us, please do. I Sometimes getting humbled is a good thing. So... <laughs> Hopefully, um, we can have some good discussions there. Otherwise, I think that'll do for this week. Our next uh, episode, we'll be looking at some super coach. So, if you're a super coach or AFL fantasy fan, uh, you need to make sure you tune into that one. We're going to be talking a little bit about that, and maybe on Twitter, we'll uh, let you know a bit more about what the details of that episode will be. But uh, until then, I hope. Uh, Everything's going well for all you listeners and uh, I'll see you next time. See you next time.